0: Hi, my name's Cena, and welcome to another episode of the Millennial Entrepreneur Podcast, a podcast that discovers the motivations and uncovers the journeys of the most inspirational young entrepreneurs. In this episode, I had amazing insight into how AJ started his nightclub and music-based events company as a side hustle while studying at university, which is now currently making him over £800 per event while also selling 1,500 tickets at his largest event, along with organizing a massive festival. I talked to him about how others can successfully start this side hustle while studying or working full-time, along with how to overcome mindset barriers. If you did enjoy this episode, you'll love our future episodes, so be sure to subscribe to the podcast to not miss any episodes, and don't forget to leave a five-star rating review. Okay then, let's get on with the episode. how did you first get into events
1: yeah sure um so i was always when i got to uni i wanted to start some sort of side hustle while in first year because knew before going to university we have a lot of time on our hands um and i was always quite a productive type um so i definitely so i started a couple of things in first year which sort of Went okay, and then I had a friend um, approach me while I was working for a startup in London that's called Clio, which is like a a messenger chatbot to do with your bank finances. It's really interesting that they're doing fantastically well. Um, And I had one of my best friends message me saying that she wanted to start a disco funk electro swing night in Exeter because Exeter has a very limited number of uh, like clubs and nights available. And there was a serious gap in the, like the disco house, funk market. Um, If there is a market for that, if you can call it that. Um, But I was like, yeah, sounds really cool. We knew somebody else who ran a drum and bass night um, and he was a very interesting guy. So I was like, yeah, hundred percent, let's go. Um, And so we basically just formulated it over the summer after first year and got all the different sort of factors in line and then kicked it off in the freshest week of second year
0: that's really cool how did you how did you get all these clubs to to basically trust you with organizing their club nights or did you just basically book out the whole club yourself and yeah kind of take on the whole financial burden if that makes sense
1: yeah um So we got in touch with a bunch of different clubs who are always looking for promoters to come and put on a night. Um, So we basically contacted the, the, there are realistically only about five or six proper clubs in Exeter. It's really tiny city. Um, And so got some quotes from each of them and general capacity numbers. um, And from there, made a decision as to which one we wanted to go for it's called cavern nightclub it's got a 220 person capacities so are really nice and small so it's a great place to like test out whether an idea like this would work um and then basically they're always keen to get new people involved especially if you get some sort of recommendation from somebody else and um obviously because we met the guy who started a joint base night he sort of gave us a recommendation and Uh, The club owners were like really sound, like really kind to us to let us um, jump on board. And so, yeah, we basically had to invest about, we wanted, we had to invest a fair amount of money at the start because we wanted to give our club night a special USP of like building up the atmosphere as well as just having the music and like all of our friends there. And so basically we kind of, boil it down to thinking that a club night has three main factors that make it special. It's the, the atmosphere and the vibe that you can make. And they all kind of, sorry, they all kind of tie into each other as well. So you have the atmosphere, the vibe that you make, the people that go there and then the type of music. And so there was kind of a lack in disco funk, actually swings or like cool new type of music. Also a lot of promoters and club nights didn't invest very heavily in their decorations to kind of make the cool atmosphere. And the ones that did are now like huge. So we had um, two nights in particular that stood out in my first year, which is called uh, Good Life and Cirque de Sole. Cirque de Sole has now gone on to blow up over the country. They've now got their own festival, which is called El Dorado Festival. Yeah, they're huge. They're massive. Um, and their events are so cool. And when you go to a Cirque de Sole event, like you really know but it's that brand and we're like, okay, this is epic. Why don't smaller club nights sort of put this much effort in? Um, And it's basically because like a lot of these promoters that run the smaller nights are, it's their like full-time job. And they basically don't have the time or the patience to go in and put this much effort into each individual night. Um, So we were like, okay, cool. Let's invest a bunch in decorations, let's make a lot of decorations ourselves, make it very unique, um, and make the vibe really cool. And then basically the last factor is just get as many of our mates on board, um, which works really well for the first event and actually subsequent events. But yeah, to so go back to your original question is like, did it require much um upfront cost and and why did the club trust us? The club trusted us because they need new promoters to come in and it required a fair amount of upfront cost. but we luckily paid it all off from the first event. So the revenue, uh, we basically broke even, which is, which is really cool. Uh, And then once we'd invested in all the decorations for the first event, we could then reuse those and add more incrementally for the events after that. So yeah, it all, it all worked pretty well from the start. really.
0: Well, I kind of took away from, from that. And I think it's something that, I guess a lot of people miss when they when they think about a side hustle like that is that you actually did quite a lot of analysis when it came to these club nights and you kind of so I, you, you talked about vibe people and the music is like the really important drivers of what makes people go to a club night and I guess that's something a lot of people might miss Um how important was that analysis at the beginning for you
1: I mean super important it's the it's the reason that you can put on a show that's different to someone else's is if you work out what the like core principles or the core factors to a good night out are, um, then you can kind of build up from those foundations. You have to, it's the same, I suppose, with any business and any industry, if you can understand, or to be honest, even any like mode of thinking, if you can understand like the core principles, then you're going to be much better set up to then produce something new and produce something unique. Um, and so, yeah, just being able to recognize that and what made other nights tick um, was obviously a great foundation for Cuckoo Choo, which is what my, the club night is called.
0: It was It was an ongoing process, wasn't it? You're just, you're always learning what people want and what other clubs are lacking through actually doing it. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, of course. And like, you have some events that go well and some events that go badly. And obviously you've then got to go back to the drawing board and analyze like, right, what happened here? What didn't go well? What went well? And try and get as much feedback as you can. Um, it's always like we, we kind of incorporated that later on at the start. It was just a bit of fun. It was like, Oh yeah, okay, cool. Let's see if this thing works. If it works, then great. If not, then like, whatever, it was good to give it a try. And then when it started working again and again, we're like, okay, right. This is now a sustainable business. Um, And so, in order for us to maintain this business, let's see, let's break down all the different factors that make it work. Um, And so, yeah, it's it's really important to be very aware um, and to think about all these different um, sort of inputs and outputs.
0: So, what's been sort of the best event that you've put on, and also the event that you've learned the most through actually doing it?
1: Oh, wow! Uh, Great question. The my favorite event is always to actually know that my my favorite event was the first event that we did. It was so much fun. It was such a surprise how many people turned up and loved it. And we had a lot of help from various people like DJs were like one DJ did it at a like significantly reduced rate. He's now a resident in motion in Bristol. Um, And so he's now like quite a high end DJ and he, just liked what we were doing he also gave us loads of advice <clears throat> his name's called he's called Zander Seddon um and he's brilliant so I'll plug him um but yeah gave us loads of help he turned up he like put on a great show um and everyone loved it and so like that was such a great validation for us um so that was amazing um since then like I, I've started DJing myself and I personally like I love DJing. So um, the events this year have been loads of fun as well. When I've been behind the decks and like playing to the crowd of friends, that's really good. Um, But then the event I've learned the most has definitely been last year's festival. So the festival is called Party in the Castle. It's at Exeter Castle. It started last year and we had um, headliners like example DJQ, Shy FX, Royalty, um which are really cool and just working on that much bigger scale much more professional setup was really interesting and obviously then when you have to kind of put up a stage and make a venue into a festival scene um there are a lot more moving parts that you've obviously got to juggle um and so that that was just like a a whole it's a whole different ball game um and obviously like there's a, a much bigger risk. There's a lot more money on the line. If suddenly you have like something like coronavirus comes and hits and shuts down the event, then you like there's there's so much more to lose. Um, so yeah, that was that was a seriously big learning curve, but also like equally as rewarding.
0: Yeah, it sounds like you've you've been like massively le- like high learning curve when it comes to to hosting these events. And um, kind of the question I would have is. Because you you, you talk about putting on these events, it can be quite expensive, like the upfront costs. So, like if it does go wrong, there is potential to lose a lot of money, right? But if it does go right, there's a potential to make a lot as well. Is that is that right?
1: Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the first event, we probably spent around one point two k on all of the different factors mostly decorations Um, and so that was a pretty massive upfront cost which I basically just took out of my pocket from working at the startup over the summer Um, and then after that that was probably the biggest initial investment then after that um, we could reuse some of those decorations and then subsequent events probably have to spend close to now I have to spend from like 500 to 600 quid per event but then an event can bring in anywhere from like a grand to 1.5 grand um so it's cool so you can have some decent margins on that's a small event that's in like a 220 person club also that's without any- yeah the
0: margin margin massive
1: yeah 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 but then that's also without any sort of headliners that's with resident djs if you start investing like a grand to three grand in a headliner that obviously then cuts your margin down a lot um so it kind of depends on what type of event you want to do so for example party in the castle um which is the festival that cost around 35 to 40k and that just about broke even last year um so like in that sense the margins are a lot smaller but then once you make a big name for yourself and you can start charging a higher ticket price um then that's when you obviously get um, like your return on investment. Um, so I say in the events game in general, the initial costs at the start are a lot higher, and then as you get a model that works over time, then that's when you start getting your your profits.
0: Yeah, and I think the what you've kind of shown is that the return on investment can be, you know, really quick to come around. It doesn't take you know a few months or even a year to to come around it can be you know overnight
1: i mean yeah definitely if you depending on how many events you put on um then you can you can start making money back quite quickly um in extra, i put on a cuckoo, cuckoo once a month now um so so yeah no, now the returns like was uh, great uh but if you want to do like one a term then you've got that's like a slightly different model um and obviously the festival is once a year so and it obviously takes a lot more preparation as well um so yeah it's, it's it completely depends on how many events you want to put on and what scale they are
0: what's been what's been the craziest event that you that you put on because i remember i remember you talked about an event where you gave away like free furniture
1: uh, <laughs> i haven't given away free furniture unfortunately that would be cool that's a great idea though um <laughs> i've given away um That's like one of the parts, uh, one of the factors of my events is they're like kind of free giveaways because I think that's always quite fun. Um, But now I've done, I tried to start an event at one of the biggest clubs in Exeter, which is a different under a different brand name called The Dressing Room, where I gave away um, lots of free fancy dress items. So, which this is something I learned is that that club had a capacity of, 800 people to a thousand people and they basically needed somebody to come in on a monday and be their regular monday night and i was like cool i've got this the margins for that could be massive if you're gonna sold out 800 person to a thousand club every week like that's that's when you're talking serious money um which is obviously never a good motivator at the start um and so i basically sunk in a lot of money into buying all of these free items of fancy dress that i was planning to give away to everybody and so i made uh and so i bought sort of 800 hats that i um then gave away at the club night. um luckily that was in fresh week and so like we sold 880 tickets and that was really cool like I had a good return there but then the week afterwards because we hadn't built up the brand we then like I bought another, I expected a bit of a drop-off, but I bought about 600 pairs of glasses and um, about 150 people turned up. So quite a massive loss is when, like, it's if you play playing the big leagues like that and you spend a grand and a half per event just for the setup cost, that's when you're, like, really playing with fire. And then I got bitten quite hard after that one and ended up losing quite a lot of money. So, like, it's not all... Sunshine and dandelions, as I'm painting the picture out to be. But going back to uh, the original question, yeah, craziest event. Um All of my events are crazy, mate. There's no one that stands out. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, that's the
0: that's the USP. It's just crazy events. Yeah,
1: that is the USP. So everyone uh, everyone short, shortens the name to Cuckoo. So say like, are oh, you going to Cuckoo? And I kind of think it's a bit Cuckoo crazy. Um So. But yeah, I mean, the, the festival is pretty mad. I've I thrown events this year where everyone just goes mental. There are some nights where you really don't expect it and people just turn up and they're like, they're just the right amount of drunk. Um, and everyone's just vibing really hard with the music and the whole crowd is sort of like pulsating. Um, that's that's really cool. Um, and then I've had a couple of times this year where the whole club's been chanting for me to get naked while I'm behind the decks. Um so, um, <laughs> um, which I did the first time, but then afterwards I, I was like, right, now we've played this game already hit once. we will not play it again. But yeah, it was quite funny.
0: Yeah, you always have, you always have to leave them wanting more, don't you? You can't always give them what what they want. <laughs> so, what what kind of like marketing tips to drive all these all this traffic to your events? Because you said you know you sold over what was it like eight hundred tickets to one of these events. How do you drive all these? All these people to your events.
1: Sure. Um, so that that one was this year, that was the start of this year, and that was much the eight hundred person one for the fancy dress themed party. That was much because of Freshers Week. I'm not gonna take any credit for that. Um Freshers Week pretty much any event sells out because you've got thousands of people hitting the town most nights of the week. So I'm not gonna take any credit for that. But we did run an event um, a Cuckoo Chew in the same club at the end of our second year and that sold um, over 900 tickets, which was cool. Um, And yeah, the marketing basically stems from having good links within the university that you're putting the event on. Obviously, this only applies to university events because that's um, that's primarily what I know. Um, And it's a matter of having a good representative network within the university. So tapping into different clubs and societies or different individuals who really like your event and want to spread it out to their friends. Um, And then basically having good promotional material, like good photos, good videos, good USPs, like the free giveaways, good uh, like branding. It it all kind of couples in together. Um, So yeah, there's no single thing, but you... You need to invest kind of equally in all yeah, the different aspects.
0: That definitely makes sense. So if 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 someone's listening now and they say, "AJ, this is this sounds amazing. This is something that I would I would love to do." What would be the kind of like tips do you have for them to start a successful events sort of event? Yeah, events company at their university because I'm sure a lot of people would be interested in doing that.
1: Yeah, of course. And you and this is what I've seen at Exeter um, since. Uh, We started, so when when we started in our second year, there were only two or three student-run club nights, and now there are like six or seven or something ridiculous. Um, Everyone in their granite seems to be starting a club night. Um, But what advice would I give? I would say you want to just go and chat to as many people as you can. Anyone that's done it before um, obviously has great insights, specifically in your university city, like I can tell you loads about exeter um and actually also I went on my year abroad to Madrid and put on a couple of events up there, some of which were successful, some of which really weren't um, so it very much depends on where you're doing it and if you can go and chat to people and kind of just soak in as much learning from their experiences as you can. The next thing I'd say is just reach out to as many different um like stakeholders and whether your night's going to go well so You've obviously got to reach out to clubs, the DJs. I strongly recommend investing in a videographer and a photographer if you want any sort of longevity in your marketing. Um, and then basically asking around your friends or the people who you'd want to come to the night to see if it's something they'd be interested in. I'd say that is the main thing. How
0: how important because you, you said you said a few like ten minutes ago or so, you, you talked about money shouldn't be a key motivation for starting. What did you kind of mean by that?
1: I mean that you can get very easily blinded by like the potential return that you can get. Um, and it is a dangerous game to play when you're first starting out. You shouldn't start this sort of thing if you like just want to try and make some quick money um, because that sort of motivation will follow you throughout making your events and you'll make decisions that aren't the best in the long run um and you'll either piss people off or you'll um just try and make as much money as possible and then eventually your night will just seem like a night that's trying to make loads of money and people will just be turned off from it um so yeah so for, for example like obviously i put on this big event at the start thinking like, Oh, the potential return on this night, if it goes well, is like, it's huge. Um, but actually I like, didn't, I, cr- I fell victim to one of the sort of startup sins in that you have to obviously test your idea before you invest lots of money into it. Um, and so I didn't test my idea out properly and also didn't probably do enough research. Um, And that then came back and bit me. If I was going to do it again, I would try and build up the brand from the start, like as small as possible, just really test like the basic core value proposition. Um, And then you don't have to invest too much money and just see if it works, see if it's something other people enjoy. Obviously, more importantly, see if it's something that you enjoy, um, because if you're going to be doing it for a long time, you do have to invest a lot of time and effort into it. And if you resent it and you hate it, then it's going to become like a, a sort like a, a negative part of your life. Um, so obviously you've got to love it. Um, and the making money part just becomes a bit obsolete after that. And if you put on, if you do something that you like really enjoy um, and you love putting on events, like I, I do love putting on events. It has been really, really fun. Um, then like whether an event makes money or not, it's kind of irrelevant now. It's all just part of the learning curve. Um, like, you're not going to remember in five or ten years' time that extra 200 quid you were able to make or whatever from that one event, but you will remember the learning curve that you got or that really great experience you had from putting on that event um, or even doing any sort of entrepreneurial venture for that matter. Um, so yeah, I would just say it's, it's really not the motivator yeah. so you want at the start. Don't ever go into it thinking, don't ever go into any- business venture thinking like oh yeah it we'll would become super rich um because it won't work in the long run
0: yeah i think you're 100 percent right and i think you do need to find something especially at the start that you, that you do genuinely enjoy because otherwise when you when you face downfall which inevitably will happen and i mean it happened with you within the first few events where you you, did, you lost a lot of money and it didn't look as as good as it is now you have to love what you do and yeah, so I think when you did ha- when you did face all that failure at the beginning how important was that mindset in moving forward and kind of believing in yourself to to turn it all around and think no I, I there's actually value here.
1: Yeah, of course. Um it's kind of the approach to failure is absolutely crucial especially when starting any sort of business or anything you're trying to make money from because stuff will go wrong stuff will fail the one actually another thing that i suggest to people study events is if it's even not even if, it, if it's a club event if it's like a, a dinner for loads of people or if it's a wedding like one of my cousins is getting married soon i said to her i was like look, this is an event like any other just be prepared that it will not go exactly as you picture it to go stuff will go wrong and so, if you just prepare for these things to go wrong, and obviously try and minimise them as much as possible, then you won't get as stressed out on the day. You'll have a level head to try and like put out the fires that inevitably come up. Um, so yeah, this kind of approach to failure is really important. And if you if you still love what you're doing, then you'll pick yourself up, dust yourself off, keep going um you'll obviously take the ego hit because it's a massive ego hit like it was particularly bad in i put on an event in madrid so i try to take take the brand international as it were um and so put on a (laughs) kukukutu out there and i rented out like a again made a cardinal sin of not testing the um early products and rented out like a 550 person club um and then uh, i hoped that like three four hundred people would turn up and about 50 people turned up so you can imagine like what that looks like in a club that can fit up to 500 people got 50 people there it was um really embarrassing um and i then had to go around the club and personally apologize to everyone there to be like no i'm so sorry this is uh it's not what i was planning for." <laughs> like, some people, uh, Shout at me trying to demand their money back like it was it was horrible. no actually. way, yeah, yeah, um, so yeah, in in those times, you just gotta like try and view it as a positive as much as you can. like it's a harsh learning curve, but it's the ones that you learn the most valuable lessons from. Um, so so yeah it's I, it's all about mindset, literally it's all about mindset. You'll have some days that go well, some days that go badly. Um, And if you can just take away the positive part out of everything, then you're laughing and then you'll be better prepared for the future. If anything, it's better to make these big errors and failures early on um, than if you make them later on and you have loads more money and loads more responsibilities on the line. um, That's when you get like these midlife crises and people lose their job or whatever. Because um, they haven't failed properly before, um so yeah, I, I think if you can make as many mistakes now as possible, then you're far better equipped for the future.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point because if you if you actually look at kind of where we are now and in, in our lives, we're at the point now where the risk is so minimal for the stuff that we're trying out. we Like we don't have massive commitments, we don't have a fat like a lot of people listening won't have like children, they won't have a wife husband you know kids there isn't actually that much risk to try stuff out even if you do fail the worst thing that can happen is that you you might lose a bit of money but you learn so much in the process so I think you're right this is the best time to try stuff out
1: absolutely right um it's literally money and your pride and ego and frankly like you don't need that much of both of them <laughs> so this is probably the best time to give stuff a crack um what about you seeing C- uh, what's your biggest failure to
0: date you always handle you always have failures in different aspects of life I think the biggest failure I kind of had was I went into a pitch with an idea that I had for my my first business I was really confident going into it and um, I think I was I think I was like 19 at the time and I was really confident going going for this but as you said I didn't research the problem at all I didn't know kind of I didn't do any analysis basically I just googled the information on my laptop and just took some stats in with me and I thought that was enough but so when I pitched the idea it got rejected from funding and I was you know I was I was very much taken back by it and that was very much like a turning point in my life where I realized you know with failure like that you can kind of sit down and take it or you can take the feedback on board and you know the feedback was that I didn't, I didn't know the problem well enough. And that's something that I've kind of taken with me in all aspects of life where I try to analyze the problem from its core. And yeah. So I think experiencing failure early on was very, yeah, it was very important for me, especially going forward.
1: Exactly. And I had an experience really similar to that quite recently as well. Um, I've been a part of a team who've been trying to start a startup based around men's health um, for a while, so trying to get men to open up about their various mental and physical health issues. And I pitched the idea, which has been researched for over a year and has been pitched to various VCs and angel investors. And I tried to pitch it to a graduate or student um, investment competition and the idea got ripped apart and it was really, really like shocking. And I, I really was not expecting it. I thought we had like a, a concept that was proven. It was validated by other investors. Um, and yeah, it was really shocking. And those sort of situations make you really sort of take a, uh, an outrospective view or an introspective view, which one am I talking about? A view from above of like the entire situation. Um and, and re- really think about, I don't know, reflect quite a lot. Um, but yeah, it's, it is really difficult. It's it's not easy to take. Um, but the more sort of, I don't want to say numb, but the, the better you can recover after the failure, in my opinion, is the better that you will succeed in life in anything that you try. Um, so I think that's probably one of the best sort of attitudes you can take into starting anything.
0: Yeah, and like your your business concept now, has probably evolved so much since that pitch. It's probably you know become a lot better, become a lot more refined, to the point where, you know, it, it's it's got more legs basically just because of that feedback that they gave to you.
1: Completely, absolutely, and we've uh, like pivoted somewhat since then, and we've put to put to the side the work that we did up until then, which is also really tricky. There's something that's called the, the sunk cost fallacy, which is like a cognitive bias, which is where you view something uh, more valuably. That's a word. Um, you view something as yeah having more value if you put a lot of work into it from the start, um, despite new pieces of information that potentially undermine it coming up. Um, but because you put the work in, you feel like it must work or you have to, put in just that extra bit of work to make it happen whereas actually you just got to look at it from an outsider's perspective and be like okay right where are the problems where what's like can we work from first principles thinking which is something that elon musk sort of um works by um it's so like what's like really true in this particular field or um this area that we can work upwards from um and really test your assumptions really hard about whatever business you're in um but yeah it's it's not, it's not easy
0: i think i think the sunk cost fallacy is a really cool concept actually
1: yeah it's um it's we have i'm i'm doing a i'm doing this course now which is called um the mental model club which i actually I'd recommend to anybody wanting to sort of set themselves up for success um it's a course by a guy called Michael Simmons who's an american entrepreneur um and all i've kind of only recently in the past year got into mental models and you realize all these different things like cognitive biases that we're subject to that we don't realize at all um and the more you're aware and can control your cognitive biases um the more sound your decision making will be and the sunk cost fallacy is just like one good example of that
0: that's yeah. I think that's really cool, and it's something that people don't know that much about themselves until they actually read these sort of biases, and they realize, oh, "Wait, hang on, that's me." I didn't, I didn't realize that before. But it's when it's actually you know presented in front of you. Did you have any that you kind of had when you when you when you read it, and you were like, "Whoa, that's actually yeah, that's me."
1: I mean, yeah, there are loads, bro. <laughs> You'll um, yeah, it's it's really difficult to recognize them in the moment when you look back. Um, You can recognize loads. So a good one is confirmation bias. Um, If you have an idea or you have a business idea um, that you think is going to be great, you look for information that confirms your hypothesis as opposed to looking for information that tests it, um, which is the best way to move forward. So the more you can stress test an idea, the more likely that it will prevail in the long run. Um, so confirmation bias is is really good for that Um, love sunk cost fallacy Um, status quo bias Uh, our brain really likes familiarity and predictability Um, and so looks for these sort of trends and things that potentially don't have any trends like the world's incredibly chaotic and random and the more we can like accept that um, sort of the better you can kind of uh, discern why or how things happen um, I mean optimism, bias people think that they're naturally better than others at certain things um, despite potentially the, uh, the data saying otherwise there's hundreds and hundreds of these um, so yeah it's, it's something I definitely suggest any of your listeners to look into um, conf- uh, the different cognitive biases that we all have um, and if you can sort of create a checklist where you can check yourself and in which situations you may be exhibiting some biases, then you are definitely going to be set up better for the future.
0: Yeah, I definitely agree. And ever since, because I, d- I did a module in behavioral economics, which is kind of similar, and you, you realize the sort of irrationality that you have that you didn't realize before. And these are irrationalities that are kind of, they're actually built into us, which is crazy, because from like a neurological perspective, um, it's in the part of the brain that is the least evolved part. So it's the internal part of the brain, which is not as evolved as the external part of the brain, which is crazy to, to think about that it's actually built into us. But once you kind of realize that we have these biases, you can overcome them and you're right. It does lead to more success going forward. Absolutely. So you you did a festival. What's kind of the next step for, for your events company?
1: Cool. Um, so Cuckoo, chew. I'm now leaving uh, Exeter, and so um, my my three years of running events at Exeter has um, come to a personal close. But Cuckoo, in the carry on Exeter, I have one of my best mates. He's called Alec Pizzo. He's running it um, for the next two years, and then after otherwise, I'm looking to franchise out the model to other university cities. I've basically worked out a formula that works um, in some regard, at least um, in Exeter, and so I want to go and test that in other university cities and um, hopefully find a bunch of different managers um, in various um, good party cities. So actually if anyone's listening to this and they, uh, they're in first or second year at university and want to um, put on some events, then get in touch with me and we could potentially make something work um but otherwise i'd like to at some point if i can build up the brand big enough over the next potential five years um or 10 years it would be cool to have a cuckoo festival and get some of my favorite artists come and play that, that would be uh that'd be a dream come true i think
0: yeah sounds really cool okay so i think we'll kind of wrap up there so yeah thanks for uh, thanks to aj for coming on the podcast and if you if you are actually thinking about uh, hosting your own own event at university it would be great to check him out and ask him for support as he says um, so yeah thanks for coming on
1: thanks very much for having me yeah please get in touch I'm sure Cena will link uh, my contact details somewhere with this podcast so um, yeah please feel free to get in touch and ask any sort of questions always happy to help
0: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Millionaire Entrepreneur Podcast. It was definitely one of my favourites to record, so we hope it's one of your favourites too. If you did enjoy, please be sure to leave us a five-star rating as it really does help us out. Be sure to you know share it with your friends if, if you think it'll be valuable. Subscribe, and yeah, I've been your host, Cines Adzale. I'll see you in the next episode.